Boss Brief, a strategic guide on how not to be an asshole at work. You'll learn about bad bosses, how they can be detected and handled, as well as how to tell if you happen to be one. Join an executive and an executive coach, both artists working in marketing and advertising for over two decades, who are here to offer you the ultimate guide on how to navigate any employment landscape. Here are your hosts, Eugene S. Robinson and Stephanie Payrollo. Welcome to the Bad Boss Brief. I am Stephanie Payrollo. I'm Eugene S. Robinson. And today we're going to talk about narratives to reframe, specifically three narratives to reframe. Now, uh-huh. what I do, I often tell my executive coaching clients and honestly, my friends to be mindful of the stories that we tell ourselves and mm-hmm. know when to reframe the narrative. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that and, that that uh, in literary terms now we call that foreshadowing. Given what I know is coming, so <laughs> and and there's a couple of different sort of disparate narratives that came up to me. So one of them is this weekend I was visiting some uh, friends and family in Denver, mm-hmm. and I was talking mm-hmm. to a young woman who will remain nameless, who mm-hmm. is just starting out in the work world, right? Mm-hmm. Just going into her career in a very very competitive field. Mm-hmm. And what she suggested to me was, she said, you know, it's hard for me to set boundaries at work. What if I'm a people pleaser? Mm-hmm. That's the narrative that I call, it must be me. Mm-hmm. And what I suggested mm-hmm. to her was, well, maybe it's always good to continue to be aware of our, you know, ways that we can grow and things that we can do more skillfully. But I said, you know, you're a young woman at the beginning of her career in a very competitive atmosphere. It might not be you. It might be the system. And I told her, I said, I've worked for and with so many white men, usually Mm -hmm. middle-aged, whose expectation is that every woman in the room is going to take care of them. Either take care of them by bringing them a cup of coffee or take care of them emotionally. That's just, it's it's like built into their way of moving through the world. And Mm -hmm. so if a young woman new in a workplace is feeling as if people might be pushing her boundaries or she might not be able to say no in the same way that she did before and get it heard, it might not be about her. It might Mm -hmm. actually be about the system. Yeah, which is sort of horrible in, in its leveling effect. I mean, I'm recalling once uh, being in an office uh, and having an office, you know, before everything got bullpenized and um, a younger staffer coming up into my office. Can I talk to you for a minute? I said, yes. It's very easy to talk to me standing. I, I also had a uh, chair in my office that you could have easily kind of put your butt in and had your conversation with me. But instead, she chose to kneel in front of me. Um, yeah. And uh, uh, I noticed, uh, without looking, I had noticed that the as she dropped her pen and bent over and the top button of her blouse had, had, had come undone. Now, I felt like saying, I understand that this might have worked with every single other male boss you've had, but you know how you can make me really happy? Just do your job. I'd be ecstatic. I don't need all of this stuff that the system has shown you probably works given who you've worked for, <laughs> but that doesn't work here. I, you know, I, I'm the reconstituted boss here. I just, this is not part of the work job. I still got all the stuff that you haven't done that I need done, please. So that was like, I would have hoped that that was 
and it, a healthy a healthy refusal to tap into a process that doesn't serve anybody well. Um, you went in a different direction there for me. I'm just kidding. I zagged. <laughs> I, I, got, I know I got you with that. I know I can tell I zagged, but, but it's the same thing. I mean, the system, the system is largely injurious to all, all concerned. I, I, but in the one hand, I was totally glad that she came to me versus any of the other men, executive staffers uh, on board who I'm sure you know, would have fallen for the okie doke, but I just, you know. Did you say finally, something to her? Did you say anything to her? Yeah, about I, I, eventually I said, hey, you know what? That chair works too. And she went, I mean, because she could see in my eyes that I wasn't going for it. And she sat in the chair and we had a perfectly civil discussion about workload, which is what the discussion was about. Right. So, Well, yeah. and I think what's interesting to me is this notion that we are operating within systems yeah. and yet the the sort of, Harvard Business Review, LinkedIn post ethos is that mm. these are things that we need to be responsible for individually, like, right. especially especially women. But yep. you know, like that article that I'm always quoting, um, yeah. where imposter syndrome is actually often for women of color just racism, um, yep. and by Jody Anbury and Rupert Shatelshan, and the idea that the it it. it the system works better if we believe individually that we are responsible for our own difficulties and yep. that it's just a question of pulling ourselves up by our emotional bootstraps or buying another self-help book until we can ameliorate whatever the problem is and, and be comfortable. Right? Yeah. So that's, well, that's well, narrative well, that, number that, one. What? That's, that's the fuel that drives America, though. Right? Right. I mean, is it? Yeah. This is, it drives billions of dollars of commerce in America. If I could just fix me. Well, and I think it, it also drives the political system, right? Yeah. So when, yeah. when the, to, to me, the obvious thing, like who would benefit from universal single payer healthcare? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Who would, who would benefit people who have less money? Yeah. Right. They're right. the ones who would benefit people yeah. who own their own businesses. Like I do people who are lower middle class, who maybe have children with special health needs or, you know, elderly parents, they're the ones that would benefit. And yet they often vote for politicians who are moving in the opposite direction. Which, which I, I, I'm guessing they believe is aspirational. Right. Uh, they, yeah. Yeah. You know, because these people will allow me to be rich. Yeah. Right. But they're not going to be rich because the system is, is built, is kind of stacked against them. So I think, I think the, the first narrative of, you know, it must be me is to invite us to reframe things and look through this this lens of what's the system in which I am I'm operating. And then again, to your point, how does that system impact every single person? I, of course, am looking at this attractive young woman across from me in her you know 20s and thinking there's going to be some challenges that are going to come to you just because of the way you look and the way you are working. But you're also yeah. talking about the way in, that, in which that can impact men. Yeah, right. right? That yeah. same that same sort of environment. So that's well, also also as as a coder to this, uh later uh, there was another uh, situation. This was an editorial office. This was not high tech. Um and uh, um she confessed to me that she had been a sex worker and then there was a whole other explanation and I said let, let me stop you right there. <laughs> I said if you think that you're the only sex worker in this office, you're wrong. <laughs> so this is not an explanation. This is not an excuse for non-performance um, in, unless you have, you know, an, an actionable complaint about one of the, the other staffers here. Um, that's not a reason to not get your work done. Sorry, I just can't, you know. <laughs> I, can't, I, I mean, it's like, 
you might have smallpox or like Flavor Flav once said, your, your mother has a gold nipple. It has nothing to do with the price of tea in China here, please. So again, <laughs> you're just full of interesting segues today. We should call this the Segway Show. The Segway Show. I, I just wanted to tie it off. In my head, it was something that needed to be said. Okay. No, and then that yeah. was thank you for no because you said you said you you said you know the system. I mean, again, I thank goodness it was only me because. Right. You know, the standard dude is just going to, this is going to cause a, a, you know, a, a Scirocco in his mind of, 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 of mixed emotions uh, where I was very direct. I'm focused on the job. You should also be focused on the job. You know. So here's narrative number two that I would like to yes. see be framed, which is things that were better. Everything was better before. Ah, you mean MAGA? Well, that's again, one, making that's, it great again. Yes, yes, that's one way. But I'm thinking specifically about the ongoing dialogue, and we've talked about this before, the ongoing conversation about returning to work. Yes. And that there are so many people that are saying, so many leaders that are saying, you, know, you have to come back to the office. Otherwise, you're not going to be able to be creative at the place where you and I both worked. You're not going to be able to be creative. You're not going to be able to be innovative. You can't transmit culture. All of these excuses. And an interesting article came out mm -hmm. uh, by Jane Tier, T-H-I-E-R, I don't know how to say that, in Fortune magazine that says mm -hmm. that the productivity of U.S. workers grew by 5.2% in the third quarter of this year, uh, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics. That's a significant reversal. It's two, two quarters in a row where productivity has gone up after five consecutive quarters of decline. And, yeah. and she cites a number of possibilities as to why this <clears throat> might be so. It could be because people are not changing jobs as often which would be because they know that it might be tough to get another job, but also because employers are trying to watch costs and it costs a lot of money to train a new person. So mm. employers may be treating their existing employees better. There's a lot of different reasons, but one reason that isn't making that happen, people are not going back to work more. Right. Right. There yep. has not been a significant, it, there's been kind of a, a yep. stasis since, you know, the, the summertime, as far as the amount of people who are working remotely versus hybrid versus in office, that hasn't mm. changed, which means our productivity as workers is independent of where we work. Yep. Yep. And everybody knows that. <laughs> everybody knows but that. Yeah, there is yeah, this. Yeah. I think that there's this narrative by leadership of these large corporations that we need to go back to the way it was before the pandemic, where everybody was in the office. And they usually older people are talking about, well, we could, you know, we could see how other people were working and we could mentor them and we could transmit culture and people deal with conflict so much more effectively face to face. They're just meanie, mean, meanies on electronic devices, none of which I actually think is true, but I think it's a really strong narrative. It used to be better back then. So if we can just go back, everything will be okay. I also think taking it away, which is in other words, hewing to the status quo of, you know, hybrid work environments, it's, it, it removes an executive perk. Anyway, let's really be real honest about that. If you are an executive level manager, there, there had to be a slight buzz 
into walking into an office of people who work for you. <laughs> you know, the, 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 the thrill, the emotional thrill of having either people, if you're having a bad day, then everybody's concerned and they're worried because it transmits, you know, this, this fear element of professional involvement, employment in America. And it's disgusting to me. You know, I, I think that people who are really good bosses um, actually do not care about that kind of stuff, but whatever, you know, I guess the lesser bosses rule the world here. And let's also let's not assume that there wasn't effort involved, right? I mean, I was an executive coach before the pandemic, during the pandemic, and after the pandemic. And there were definitely a lot of changes that leaders needed to make to mm-hmm. culture, to onboard people, to um, deal with conflicts, do new initiatives. It was challenging, right. but it has been done. Right. That yeah. was year for we have been good leaders have been working on how to effectively manage remote and hybrid workers for years now. Right. Yep. Since yep. 2020. Right? Yep. It's almost 2024. This is not a new muscle that we're exercising. And I think mm-hmm. we've gotten pretty good at it. And that if you are intentional, you can override the negative parts of the changes. And I think one of the things that is frustrating to me is that the people who most benefit from hybrid or remote mm-hmm. work are the people who have less power. Right. Right? Right. I mean, just anecdotally, people who have young children, yeah. people who you know can make it to daycare on time for the pickup, people who have disabilities and maybe it's not so easy for them to get to work. People who, I mean, you wrote a, you know, really good article in the LA times about your experience with working remotely. You want to mention that one? Yeah. About how largely people of color were like, you know what? Uh, One of the reasons my productivity has got my productivity, my personal productivity has increased approved it's because i don't have to deal with the horror of being in an office with people who don't look like me you know and it seems counterproductive counterintuitive that that would be a problem but you know in in you know survey after survey it seems like black folks specifically are like you know what my day is beautiful without a single microaggression <laughs> and, uh, usually i scoff when people say microaggressions because the world i live in the only aggressions are macro but uh, but I completely understood. I completely understood. Um, there's a guy who works in Los Angeles, started his own business in motion graphics and design. And he was like, you know what? Inevitably, we'll have a Zoom meeting as a result of some project. And even if we're halfway through the project and it's successfully halfway through the project, when we do a Zoom call and they see that I'm for the first time, maybe in this whole that I'm African-American, it's a thing. It's not always a bad thing. It's just a thing. And it's got, it's, it's, it's enervating. And I was like, yeah, well, there you go. So yeah, that's what the LA Times piece was about. And my frustration with this, it used to be better, was first of all, I was there. It was not. Yep. Yep. It, it was not better. And yep. second of all, that it's, it's better for whom, right? So that's, yep. the, that's the question. When these, it, inevitably, it seems like they're these very affluent white men and women who are in leadership, who are hearkening back to some halcyon time in an office mm-hmm. that, you know, usually is, like you said, this large bullpen format, which has its own kind of challenges. And that it's, they're not taking into account who it was better for to be able to work remotely or be able to work in a hybrid fashion. But then also let's put on, let's put on a management hat here for a second. It's our business. And I want to see these people at their desk because I'm not convinced that they're working if I can't see them. 
Well, there's certain um, indices <laughs> that let you know whether people are working. Is the is the project done? Yes, no. <laughs> if it's yes, what do you care? I know a guy who uh, had developed a terrible problem with crystal meth. Uh, he went to his boss and figured, I need to disclose. Goes to his boss and says, I'm having a terrible problem with crystal meth. The boss says, look, if money is a problem, I can increase your salary. He said this because I don't know how much you know about crystal meth, but this guy's workday had gone from eight hours to 22 hours. He was perfectly okay working 22 hours a day because he was high on meth. His boss was not concerned about the illegality, you know, drugs in the workplace. If he's getting 22 hours out of one of his employees, he was, if money's a problem, I could, fundamentally willing to fuel this guy up to get the job done. And if that's the case, what do you care? If, I'm, if I can get the project done at home, what do you care that my ass is in the seat? So but Part of what ends up coming up is this notion of fairness. And it's a real kindergarten level uh, version of fairness. Yeah, right? yeah. It's it's like little children. Well, she got a, a, her sliver of cake is a half an inch larger than my sliver of cake. Right. As opposed right. to like, both of you have more cake than you can possibly consume without vomiting. Right. right? Like right. there's plenty of cake. And, mm-hmm. and I do see that immature leaders or new leaders often talk about fairness. Well, mm-hmm. if he has to sit there, so does she. If I had to go through this kind of an internship to become a a doctor, you know, your resident program needs to look just like my resident program. And people get very entrenched in this fairness idea. And yep. it's it's managers and it's also p- employees, right? Like I've oh, heard of, yeah, it's you know, employees. Yeah, and they will have this. Well, like I did this, and how come he got this, and I didn't have that? You know, they're they're bean counting, and yep. they're not acknowledging. And I think that it is often difficult to say, person A just works faster and more efficiently than person B. Yeah, but that is I'll, the reality. I'll, I'll tell a story, and I'm glad to tell it. It's when I was at uh, uh, Mac Life magazine, and um, uh, I had done several cover stories on the magazine. And some of these cover stories I had done while I was on the road with my band. Now, go back a little bit. Future Publishing had hired me on as an, ex- uh, uh, what do you call it, like essentially a biz dev editor. And I was supposed to start there or develop for them an action sports division, you know, put together a proposal, go to Las Vegas, meet with the UFC people and put together, you know, an offer for them. I said, well, I can't, that's a great project. Can't do it for free. I said, well, we have a senior editor position on the magazine so I can get you money while you do this other thing. I go, great. But you know, my schedule is weird. We can work with this. So I'm on the road. I'm doing cover stories, attending staff meetings, doing videos. And at one point, one of the uh, uh, older staffers, not an executive staffer, but one who had been there a long time, she started complaining about like, well, how come Eugene is never here? I'd done four cover stories. Did here or not here? Did it make a difference? And uh, in essence, had created such a stink that when I got off the uh, a tour, after having done all these cover stories while on the road, and I wasn't gone for an inordinate period of time, we're talking two weeks um, the guy, uh, my boss at the time, our common boss said, you can't do this anymore. And, you know, so let's, let's try to put some FaceTime at the desk. It's making everybody else feel weird. I said, okay. I said, okay. Knowing at that time that Harper Collins had put together a book tour for me for my just released fight book. And that I was going to have to go out on the road again anyway. And I thought about it and I went and told him, I said, listen, 
I'm going on the road again and, and, and I can keep doing cover stories for you guys or I can leave. You let me know what you want. And I said, yeah, you know, maybe it's better that you, you go because it's causing me so much internal strife. You working this way that maybe it's just, it's just easier. And I go up to you. Good luck. <laughs> that's, a, that's another narrative that needs yes. to be reframed. Not only the, you know, things used to be better in the old days, but also what is fairness? I mean, I've advised a number of executive coaching clients to talk to whoever it is that has this fairness notion and, mm-hmm. and reframe it, right? yeah. Like, let's come from a place of abundance. Let's acknowledge right. that everybody has difficulty, right? Maybe this person is on maternity leave and you will never take maternity leave because it's not your parental leave because it's right. not your intention of children, but you may need to take bereavement leave when yep. someone that is close to you dies and this other person may not, you know, that it's not- yep. It's not not one size fits fits all. Yes. And to move away from that bean counter. So the last one, and and this is just my sort of personal musings, but there's a narrative that there is no recession. And Mm -hmm. I feel like I keep seeing all of these stories and and I'm not an economist. I don't know Mm -hmm. about, you know, how to read the the economic tea leaves, but I Mm -hmm. see a lot of articles that we're in great shape. We're in great shape. Look, this is fine. Yeah, yeah, the consumer prices are, you know, more expensive, but everything's fine. And what I've noticed in Seattle is that because Seattle is so centered on Amazon, Meta, Microsoft, Google, that when they are ongoing rolling layoffs, as there have been this whole year, yep. there's a trickle-down effect. I was in physical therapy last week talking to my physical therapist, and she was saying she can tell six months after a wave of layoffs, everybody ends up being done with their paid insurance. And so they stop coming to physical therapy. Right. People that used to be like cash pay right. can't afford right. to do it. This is a physical yep. therapist. So the idea yep. that physical therapists and dog walkers and home remodelers and all the people that are part, and I will say executive yep. coaches. I mean, McKinsey yep. this year had the, lowest number, I think this was in the Wall Street Journal last week, the lowest number of new partners in McKinsey in for many, many years because no one can afford consultants anymore. Yep. Because every, and so I, I feel like it's great that there is a positive narrative to <clears throat> some degree, but the economic reality for many people that are <clears throat> in places like Seattle or Silicon Valley is there's a really difficult trickle down effect. And a lot of those people that have gotten laid off are still looking for work. Yep. 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 You know, and I think what's challenging about this is it, it kind of plays into the, it must be me. Yes. Because it's like, Hey, economic signs are all great. And the federal reserve doesn't have to, you know, raise rates anymore. And, and it must be your problem that you can't, get hired, get new clients, mm-hmm. you know, make ends meet um, on the the same salary that you had a year ago. What do you think I, about that one? Do you see that too? I, well, well I, yeah, I see it too. I, I like that we've now, is, we've done the circular thing. So this has been like a raga. So we got, it's, it's you, but also I have to say, and this is anecdotal, that the only people I know, and I'm talking now, let's say 30 people, there are 30 people I know who work in high tech in the last 12 months, or let, let's say not even the last 12 months, in the last three years, those who have gotten jobs as a result of transforming their resume 
you know, sending it in through LinkedIn, finding it on a job site, Glassdoor. The numbers of the so of those thirty people, the number who have numbers of people who have gotten their jobs the way it's supposed to work traditionally. You see something in the newspaper and you send in a resume. A zero, a point zero. Mm-hmm. Now it could just be that I know a lot of engineers, and that's not the way engineering works. But the reality of it is, every single person I know who's been professionally engaged in the last three years of the 30, and these are mostly guys I'm doing jujitsu with or somehow involved in music who work high-tech jobs, not a single one got it by floating a resume over the transom. That means every one of them got it through an association, you know, a personal association like, hey, hey, you got a job open there. Can you get me in the door? Oh, yeah, I'll get you in the door. And as much as I like that, that's not a healthy way of a system to work, you well, know. But, and then what's the narrative that you're telling yourself, right? Because then I could yeah. see that the the follow-on of that for a person that's listening to us who might have been unemployed for an extended period of time is mm-hmm. for that person to say, well, it must be my fault because yeah. I don't have a robust enough network. Yeah. As opposed to acknowledging it's this is a systemic issue. This is global. And the reality is LinkedIn is so chock full of people pitching themselves that sometimes you can't cut through the clutter. It's really hard to build a network right now. And I have people emailing me all the time with some sales offer, some whatever. And I try to listen to people who might actually just need some help. But it's Mm. really tough. So I don't want people to think like, oh, well, I can't get a job in the, the way it used to be. Now I have to build my network. And so it must be my fault. It's again, systemically, things are not, things are not great in the world of high tech and advertising, which is yep. the one in which we live. All right. We've, yep. we've got a few minutes left. Do you have a, do you have a fire me? Yeah, I do. And I, and, and you probably, you're probably going to roll your eyes and go, Eugene, yeah, you know what? This is old news, but it's new news to me. And I enjoy, and it's going to be a little bit of a zag. Like this show started out with a little bit of a zag. Um, Somebody gambled it all, lost everything, a la uh, our former uh, boss, uh, Carlos Watson, uh, got popped and is largely finished because it was discovered that in the, in the run-up to their book being released in the spring of 2024. Do you know where I'm going with this? No, I don't. I don't know who you're talking uh, about. There's this woman, uh, um, and she went on Goodreads which is owned by Amazon and left one star reviews for a plethora of first time writers, all of whom happen to be weirdly enough, people of color, um, Asian people, African-American people, Latino people gave one star reviews. Well, eventually, you know, the ducks get in a row and people are like, who's this person leaving all these one star reviews. So somebody does a little amateur sleuthing and um, finds out that the, whoever it is giving one-star reviews is also giving five-star reviews to another author. The same author. They, somebody approaches this author and says, what's, what's, what you, what's happening here? And she says, oh, it's my friend Lily. So, well, can you put us in touch with Lily? She sends back some hastily constructed series of texts, presumably, where she's like, Lily, you got to stop doing this. I know you're a big fan of mine, but stop doing this. And eventually somebody figures out there's no Lily. So now she has lost her big publishing deal. The book has been yanked 
she's lost her agent. Um, the her PR company is still teetering on on, on the fence. Uh, the booksellers have yanked her book from the, um, and apparently this her book was probably slated to have a pretty good run in uh, March of 2024. Um, but she is effectively done. She's written, as we would have advised on this show, she's written a very long uh, letter of apology blaming drugs and alcohol, okay? And she has checked herself into a rehab facility. This is, I'm not being cynical necessarily, but this is a successful PR two-step if that if there ever was one. Apologize, I screwed up. This is how I screwed up. And good luck to you. I got to go to go to rehab. But it is, in my mind, a perfect storm for fire me of just bad decision on top of bad decision, all premised on what in tennis they call an unforced error. It didn't have to do that. Who is, <laughs> the, just, who is the woman? Was she a white uh, woman? Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> kind of goes without saying. Like, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. having really bad behavior. She must be white. Um, yeah, I, 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 I believe her. Her first name is Caitlin. Um, uh, I, I do not have my computer open in front of me. Okay. I, I, you, I, and I, I'll Google it. But you know what's yeah. interesting? I will just yep. just put out into the world. Yes. Okay. I have never left a review on Goodreads, right? Uh, Pro or con at all? I mean, I'm on Goodreads. I haven't yep. left a review. I have been trying for 30 years to get an agent, to get a traditional Mm. publishing deal and to get a PR. Mm. Those two things might be connected, right? Mm. She may play a game on social media and, and, you know, I mean, possibly she is just acres more talented than I Mm. possibly. right? But Mm. I think that there is, there are people who are getting book deals, who are getting publishing deals, who are getting famous because they know how to play the social media game. Uh, yeah. And yeah, this uh, woman got was not good at the game. She yeah. went, she was clumsy. But yep. I also have to believe that there are people that are doing things that might be not quite as black and white, but a little more in the ethical gray area. And yeah. yet they're the one, I mean, it, it is interesting to me that this woman has that because if, if she's a first time published author and I don't know, I have no idea who this is. Uh, she, she is not. She's okay. a, uh, I think she's pu- pu- multiply published science fiction author. Okay. Um, but do you see what I mean? It's like, there's a, yeah, there yeah. is a way in, and maybe that's, I mean, I, it could just be that I have no talent, but it also could be like, I am choosing not to participate in social media, except to a very narrow sort of focused business development extent. And maybe that's part of it. Cause that's what I ask. Like in, in, there's a book proposal that I'm writing right now. And, and one of the key questions is tell us where you are on social media. Tell us what your followers are. Basically give us the numbers. Mm. And that is one of the key criteria that they will use to make a decision about whether or not to publish this book. I'll tell you, I'll tell you a funny story. A, A writer I know has the same name as a famous person as do I. Right. Um, but this person, the name that they have, um, will not divulge, has resulted in them having a tremendous run-up of followers on Twitter. Now, the average person, I think I have 7,000 or 8,000 on Twitter. I'm still calling it Twitter. I will not acknowledge X. Um, this person has four times that number. They've, they've got, you know, uh, what was four times? This is, uh, you know, you can figure out 140,000. Yeah. These people believe that she is this other, this actress. 
So I don't know that it necessarily helps. However, she just got a book deal. <laughs> and I guarantee you 100% that the people putting that deal together, they looked at the 140,000 people that she has followers and go, slam dunk, open, shut case, done. Yep. So, so, you know, in my day, let's go back to the people, the first people we knew in the, in the, in the blush of, uh, of our, our editorial past who made it big. They got busted the old-fashioned way. David Levitt, who had this big deal, Silent Language of Cranes, and then his second or third book, he's like plagiarizing. Old-fashioned way. He's, you know, uh, J.T. Leroy, who I love the book, Sarah, but I smelled the rat instantaneously. You know, the whole showing up at the press conferences disguised and doesn't want to be revealed. And ah, I didn't buy any of it. I love the book. It didn't make a difference to me. But so I think social media has has increased the possibility of high-level chicanery. That is um, true. Yeah. All right. That's all we have time for. If you want to get in touch with us with suggestions about what we should do for our next show, uh, WTF at BadBossBrief.com. Again, WTF at BadBossBrief.com. I read every email that comes in. We always like to hear from you. And see you again in a couple of weeks. Thank Adios. you. Adios. Bye. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Bad Boss Brief podcast with your hosts, Eugene S. Robinson and Stephanie Payrollo. You can check out more of their work by visiting consigliera.substack.com for Stephanie and eugenesrobinson.substack.com for Eugene. You can also find Eugene at Mr. Sleep 3, that's number 3, on Instagram. Reach out with your questions, concerns, workcase situations, or suggestions to us at WTF at BadBossBrief.com. We personally answer every submission. Be sure to join us at BadBossBrief.substack.com every other Wednesday for episodes of Bad Boss Brief and every single week for our Sub Rosa shorts so you can gain further insights into your workplace environments. Until next time, don't be an asshole at work.